Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Leaving Las Vegas, starring Nicolas Cage, Elizabeth Shue, and Julian Sands. Based on the book by John O'Brien and written and directed by Mike Figgis. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to continue with our Nicholas Cage cast, the Cagey cast. Uh, and up uh, next, we have Leaving Las Vegas from 1995. This was a raw, raw watch for me. Um, I tried to go in super blind, didn't look up anything about the plot. I didn't watch any trailers. All I knew was it had Cage, Elizabeth Shue. It's set in Las Vegas. And I like how you asked me about halfway through. Is this going how you about thought it was? And no, the answer is a big no. Right. <laughs> um, but this, this was a lot of fun, and we got a lot to talk about, right? It almost seems counterintuitive to drink during this episode, right? <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> but yeah, we'll pour out some more Sant- uh, Suntory um, Whiskey Toki. So cheers to you. Cheers to you. Man, ladies and gentlemen, this is a hard-drinking movie. Yeah. Nicolas Cage is pounding back bottles like nobody's business. But let's dive right into our flight question so we can get this conversation started. Now, we don't have any clips because I went in raw, but do you want to do your best sting impression? <laughs> My one and only. If that sounds like jazzy, it is. Unfortunately, one of the things I'm sure we're going to talk about in the film is... The music choices? How Don Henley and Sting and this bluesy jazz shtick that they've got is not working in the credits it said music by mike figgis so did he write some of these songs did he perform on them i don't know well we'll get to that too because mike figgis has a pretty terrible career in film outside of this so i guess it shouldn't be (laughs) any different with his music choices or stylings right matt told me his kind of dislike for the sting title track like at the very beginning, and so every time it came up, I just couldn't help but laugh. Right. <laughs> Five times, I think. Five or six times. Yeah, the movie, I guess it fits the movie, right? It yeah. does, because it's slow and down. and It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel Vegas, though. Sting's, Sting's vocal uh, abilities, which are, are profound, like the guy's a good singer, obviously, do not work in that manner. Um I can't think of a worse pairing. I brought up the example of that terrible album that Aerosmith did called Honkin' on Bobo, which is just trash. Mm -hmm. But occasionally we step out of our specialties and the things we're good at, and it looks like we're doing something we're not good at. We experiment. In this case, that would be Sting. (laughs) Exactly. So the one thing I did know about this film going into it was this was the film that Nicolas Cage won. I wouldn't say the long-coveted Best Actor Award, uh, but... Kind of a surprise, I guess. And maybe he was even shocked, too, at the ceremony that he was going up on the stage to accept this statuette for best actor. It's a pretty great performance, and we'll we'll, we'll get into it. But my question to you, playing devil's advocate, let's say Cage didn't win there. Do you think we're maybe having the same conversation with Cage now of, gosh, when's that guy going to win? Does does he kind of feel like that guy to you? Like, bar this film, he's had the career that he deserves something like that? That's a really good question. No. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I kind of want to say no, too. Nicholas Cage is in the category of the Oscars all to himself, which mm-hmm. is 
best performance of Nick Cage. Yeah. As Nick Cage doing crazy Nick Cage things. Best Nick Cage moment of the year. <laughs> He'd win it every year. I, and I think he's he's a talented enough actor. Um, I just keep going back to a couple weeks ago when we saw that interview with mm -hmm. him before. Yeah. Um, massive talent. In his raw, natural state, I think... I'm starting to come to the conclusion that most of the time his performances are not him acting. It's just him doing himself. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. And who am I to say, guys, obviously forged himself a career. But to answer your question, I don't think he's deserving. Do you? Yeah, I don't know if we'll, we'd be having that same conversation. So that makes this award anomaly even more interesting to me. Yeah. So the question being... uh Three other actors. I mean, we've been talking about actors a lot the last few weeks and good acting. And I want to know three actors that you think are deserving of that best actor award that haven't won it yet. So whether they win it for a film that it just seems like it's due time, like The Revenant, like that's not the film Leo wins for. Uh, or if it's like an honorary award, like it doesn't matter. Just give me the three actors uh, who you think most deserve that right now. But you go three, three, two, two, one, one. Yeah, yeah. Three for me is Glenn Close. I'm assuming actors. You mean actor or actress? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Glenn Close. Uh, I feel like a lot of her thunder got stolen by Meryl Streep, who's won so many. They're very similar, right? Yeah, they are. Uh, Glenn Close is deserving, and it's probably too late. I think the ship has sailed. I don't really even remember the last thing I saw her in, but her. I think her legacy in film is solid, man. Very good. I think she's been nominated like seven or eight times yep. too. So, so something's holding that up. Mm -hmm. uh, I am going to go with uh, my number three. I'm going to also go actress Amy Adams. You know, this one's just like <laughs> right there. Maybe going to happen soon. Uh, it's kind of shocking that Jessica Chastain, I think, won before Amy Adams. And I think Amy Adams is up to six nominations now or something. Mm. But she's always really solid in everything, whether it's the fighter or rival or nocturnal animals. I mean, Amy Adams is rarely bad. So mm -hmm. yeah, you got to kind of think, uh, she, she's due for, for some, some hardware at some point. So yep. that's my number three. Number two for me, Mr. Clint Eastwood. Mm. Uh, I don't know how many roles he didn't get it for. For acting though, right? For yeah. acting. Yeah. Has one as director, mm -hmm. but for acting uh, again, that's probably over now, too, because so. he's sort of playing like old guy that drives a car on a road trip these days and just watched, everything he what, does. What was the last one he did? Uh, Cry Macho. Oh, yeah. Gosh, that, that, was, that wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you could, and he's, was he 94? Yeah. You can tell. You can, he's really showing the age. I think Gran Torino might have been his last best shot unless something else comes along. Yeah. Uh, you almost wonder if that lifetime achievement that's not really recognized as such, but given for that sort of performance over the course of a span. John Wayne is, I think, a good example of mm -hmm. that. Yeah, true grit. That, yeah, true grit, right. That should have been it, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen for actor. Yeah, probably not unless he's got something else in there. But even then, like Cry Macho, The Mule, like it's kind of been diminishing acting returns since Gran Torino. I really like that movie too, so... Between Million Dollar Baby and Gran Torino, one of those two should have brought home some hardware. Something, yeah. Unforgiven. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of chances. I don't even know if he was nominated for Unforgiven. That was like... Yeah. Good choice. Thanks. My number two... My my next two, I think, are possible mm. uh, as well. Uh, number two, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. 
now that he's sans Iron Man uh, until they bring him back for whatever Secret Wars <laughs> movie that I bet that they're planning or something. Uh, I think he can really spread his chops, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him and a cadre of other actors in Nolan's Oppenheimer film next summer. So it's more cerebral, dramatic filmmaking, and he's tried it before recently. I mean, the judge is fucking atrocious. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was that one he did with Jamie Foxx, a soloist? Mm-hmm. Gross. Yep. Uh, if he can kind of get away from the Doolittle stuff and kind of get back to, like what we talked, like Zodiac and stuff like Tropic Thunder and... Uh, like those chaplain things, you know, I think he wants to do it. Uh, it's just the right role, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think he has the acting chops to pull that off too. I think you're right. Super talented, just not quite there yet. He's he's just the right choice away from getting it though. Hollywood likes mm-hmm. that kind of story for him too. Yeah. Comeback thing. Good choice. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Number one for me, Yeah, Edward Norton. Um, I feel like the same way Meryl Streep has stolen a lot of Glenn Close's thunder, Gary Oldman has done that to Edward Norton to a certain degree. Uh, Edward Norton's really good in a lot of things, and my favorite Norton performance is a movie I hope we do someday on the show, The 25th Hour. Mm, yeah, Spike Lee. But there's a ton of other really, really good things. Again, with him, it's been a little slow as of late, though. I'm not sure the last thing that I saw him in either, but it's been a while. He's just the right choice away. Um, he was never going to win it as being like leading man material because that was not him. But he plays, I think, Cerebral really well. He plays Villain really well. Mm-hmm. And even if you want to go the, the sidekick route, he plays that really well too. And I'll give you the example of Rounders. Uh, there's not many things Edward Norton is in that I don't find myself really appreciating his range. And... Much like Robert Downey Jr., although I don't think as talented as Robert Downey Jr., mm-hmm. which is speaking, Robert Downey Jr. is amazing. So yeah. me saying that is not a slight on his acting ability. Yeah, I think he's just the right choice away. Did you see this movie? No, but I heard a lot of really good things. That's Motherless Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see it? No, I didn't. Um, had a good cast. Uh, I think that one just kind of flew under the radar, right? Yeah. Uh, he's been doing some handmade stuff and then like stuff with Wes Anderson, but yeah, where's Edward Norton? I could see him getting it. I mean, Primal Fear, I think that was his first movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff like Fight Club in there, American History X, which I don't love, probably because that director's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was good in Birdman. I mean, yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's he's fairly solid throughout his career. Yeah. Um, uh, funny that I bring up this poster because my number one choice is on this poster, and it's Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Uh, I think he's got maybe two or three nominations. I think for Passion, uh, Last Temptation of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think he's got one in there for Full Metal Jacket. No, uh, uh, Platoon. Yeah, I think one in there, and then one of a few years ago for I think just a smaller film. But man, that guy is just—he's wild and crazy, and he does these kind of Nicolas Cage performances. They're so similar, uh, really. Uh, you kind of look back early in his career, whether it's Streets of Fire or To Live and Die in L.A., and then how great he was as Norman Osborn. Uh, yeah, when 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 is Defoe's turn? Uh, I'm ready for that. Yeah, it's true. It's coming. Mm-hmm. I like that choice also. He and, was fourth on my list. And the one, that the, the role that I rewatched recently that I was like, how did he not even get nominated or was not even in the consideration was his performance in The Lighthouse, 
whatever sea shanty dialect he's using in that thing, it fully commits. Uh, it's remarkable. Like he's he's insane in that movie. Mm. Yeah, Pattinson's good in that too, and kind of considered him. But I don't know. Batman's kind of leaving a bad taste in my mouth, and it's not his fault. It's mainly just too long of a movie. Yeah, uh, and the story's kind of a mess. But uh, yeah, Willem Dafoe. Any honorable mentions? Yeah, Tom Cruise. Mm. Not in the last ten years or so, but uh, I think Born on the Fourth of July probably would be in there. I also think Magnolia should have been in there. That probably would have been supporting instead of leading. Sure, uh, it was really good in Tropic Thunder, but again, that's supporting. <laughs> so the problem I would even give you, Vanilla Sky would lend to that ability to pull off um, a tour. I think he's really good in Eyes Wide Shut too. Give you that as well. It's been a little while though, and he's so weird and such a character of himself now. It's a bit toxic. Mm-hmm. The stories are coming out and all of his K-Pax and Scientology bullshit. <laughs> K-Pax. Whatever that crazy <laughs> leaked video was. Of yeah, He's just <sighs> weird. And he's mainly spending time in the action genre, right? Mission Impossible, now Top Gun. Like He doesn't really do like a cerebral drama anymore. No, and I think Top Gun's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, we're going, actually, we're going Tuesday to see it of next mm, week. Nice. Uh, we're going to cover it on the show later, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, he's uh, he's got to get out of that weird state where I don't think the Academy has any desire to want him put want to put him on stage in prime time in front of a mic, live mic. Yeah, what's he gonna say? God only knows. <laughs> what was it, what were those meters called? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, those Scientology. Yeah, the spectrometers. Oh yeah, <laughs> to measure your. <laughs> Well, yeah, I forgot all your energy. Yeah. Yeah, go listen to Battlefield Earth, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> so that'd be my honorable mention. There's a couple of ones in there. Dead, but I think Alan Rickman probably deserves oh, some Absolutely. Too. Yeah. Got any honorable mentions? Um, Adam Driver. I think he's close. It's coming for right. him. He's still young enough. It's coming. Yeah. I think he picks the right roles and he's just really good in a lot of stuff. So mm-hmm. that one's coming. I think Michael Fassbender as well. I think with the right right role mm-hmm. as well so good choices yeah i think i think it's yeah just always up for debate and, and of course they're gonna win for the wrong movie right yeah. i mean <laughs> that very rarely did they win for yeah that was the one yeah but sometimes they do maybe it was nick cage for this film so let's go ahead and dive right into our review breakdown of leaving las vegas and here we are here we are <laughs> so, no sound this week no sound this week it's, it's just it's kind of a raw episode and i think it fits the theme of the film right i mean this is kind of a raw raleigh shot eight millimeter ra- raleigh edited i mean they did a lot of interesting things with the shutter speed of some of the things it's really slow at times um and we just start with cage right away i mean shopping for booze he's just putting bottle after bottle <laughs> leader of jack leader of vodka thing of baileys and then i like kind of liked i wonder if this was on purpose i mean he gets to the water threshold and just completely walks past it right yeah i don't think this guy has a glass of water this entire film much less very he, i think he eats a, a meal here or there but it's just all drinking mm-hmm. crazy i can't i mean we we talked a little bit about alcoholism when we did star is born and uh Jackson, his benders and kind of what he does. This is kind of another level of drinking, right? Yeah. I mean, this is wake up drink, middle of the night drink on his bedside table. He's got a bottle. Uh, he's chasing that with the the, the next drink. 
Uh, and so this kind of early montage, I mean, he's looking for money so he can go buy drinks from Richard Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes to that strip club, jazz strip club, right? Also odd, but yes. We need to find the strip club that has the jazz saxophone. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, let's let's talk about that sequence for just a minute, okay. the strip club. I He is in the pursuit of women in this film, although... The movie lends itself to not in a capable state of fulfilling the promises he makes barside to whatever conquest he's seeking out. But he goes to this jazz club and it literally is like a four-piece jazz ensemble behind what looks to be a lounge singer, except she decides to take off her clothes. And that's one of the weirdest things that this movie presents along with the score. Now, that's not as off-putting as Sting's vocal stylings and occasionally, I think, two or three Don Henley um, bits in there as well. Think about that. Like, Don Henley and Sting singing jazzy blues in this really rot drama on Mm self-destruction. Kind of should work in some ways, except that the music piece doesn't. However, as crazy it is to watch this stripper stripping to a saxophone, is skippity be bop and doopin' down. Yeah. <laughs> the bottle that he polishes off in Ooh, one. Gosh, what is that? Schnapps? What is uh, yeah. rum? Just down the hatch. One bottle. Good leader down the so hatch. So gross. I would get so sick. Yeah. And to an alcoholic, I mean, it's his lifeblood. I mean, if he's not having it, he's jonesing, right? I mean, he's got the shakes. Yeah. Unless he's got a bottle in hand and he's, he's pounding down these things. That was troubling. That was... I was like, we're we're in for it. Like, this is but the threshold of probably what he's gonna imbibe in. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting way to start. This is kind of a character piece. You're right of self destruction for two characters, really. Right, uh, Nicholas Cage here first. Was he a writer or a wannabe writer? What was kind of your take on like these kind of like soliloquies he would deliver at random times throughout the the story? He does it one in the bank line here. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought about him being a writer. I thought about him being, yeah, that would make sense, though, when he's speaking into that recording device, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that when he asked Richard Lewis for the money and then the other guy who's sitting next to him who's someone in the industry, it does feel like prior or previous ownership or management, maybe, Mm -hmm. representation, yes? So maybe screenwriter. But then we do see him in one scene at his day job which is behind a desk in some talent or uh, CAA with a boatload of scripts and he looks like he's a reader yeah that's why you would have have that many scripts and then he's on the phone even though he's not really on the phone he's <laughs> pretending to be on the phone it's upside down in yeah. his hand because he's still <laughs> drunk or getting drunk or drinking that he's trying to put some deal together mm-hmm. so I'm not it's tough to sort of say exactly but the recording in the device would speak to writing, I would think. My impression was writer on the side, but then they they don't really go into that a whole lot other mm-hmm. than uh, these few moments that I'm referring to. But then, yeah, he's a talent, creative exec looking for the next script, just mountains of scripts on his desk, which seems like a not the best job. But right. just how much crap do you got to read through, right? Well, uh, and the scripts he has on his desk are all... Old properties have been made. Yeah. Die Hard was in there. I saw Father of the Bride was one of them. Yeah, so it's all stuff that's been made. 
But he's getting his pink slip, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone's up to here with his shit and the drinking and you just show up to your job drunk. I mean, maybe in a talent agency like Los Angeles, the rules might be a little more lax. Like maybe you could have a drink at your desk, Mm -hmm. madman style, but not when you're doing it every day. And it's obviously affecting your work performance. So they're just like, we we, got to get rid of you. So that's a pretty big loss for him. And what I like about it, and it's, I think, consistent in, in Figus's direction here, we know that there's some domestic issues that are causing him problems, whether that's job, employment, or an estranged family. Yeah. What you never really do find out in the film is... What happened. If it was because... If he's drinking because they left, or they left because he was drinking. And he actually sort of has a play on words similar to that later in the film where he says... Kind of essentially the same thing. I don't know if I'm drinking because I want to die or if I'm dying because I drink or that, right? That mm-hmm. whole deal. But we do see of all the things that he destroys, the one thing he keeps is the picture of, I'm assuming, wife or... And son. And son. Yeah. And he keeps that. But we do not get any more backstory mm-hmm. other than that. And I like that. Yeah. It's mysterious. It's, yeah, it is it is the fracturing of that relationship now thrust him into this bender that he can't get out of or was he always like that and that's why they left so because i think his character in this is fairly remorseless Mm -hmm. except for that picture that he keeps which isn't addressed yeah it's obviously got him spun but i like that depiction of i have some issues in my past and i'm going to drink them away whether they are the result of drinking or the reason i drink i'm not sure and it doesn't matter it's just this this guy's he's tortured yeah i like the lack of explanation it does feel slightly experimental and this is kind of an odd film mm-hmm. i mean the way it's shot the way it's put together it's a little art house isn't it yeah it is and it, it fits that style to not kind of get all the those answers and whatnot so his boss asks him what are you gonna do what's your plan well i think i'll just Go off to Las Vegas. So this is kind of his inciting incident, right? His mm-hmm. call to action to drink more. Oh, well said, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, Severance check in hand. Away we go. Spends it all on booze, uh, packs up his life in a bunch of trash bags to be thrown away, and then sets off to Vegas with a clear goal, I think, that we'll find out later is, I'm going to drink myself to death. I think it'll take about four weeks, and I have enough money, $300 per day. Oh, my. It's just so much drinking. Mm-hmm. I just can't fathom it. But what do I know? I mean, if I had but a third of the vodka in his bottle, I'm getting sick. To oh, yeah. him, he can just keep going and going and going and going. And they don't really do that. I thought this was odd, too. Like, nowhere in any of these sequences does he have, like, a throw-up scene from drinking too much. Right. I thought that was interesting. And he he does say, he's like, I get sick. I, I'm a mess. Break things. Never once do we see him throw up or pee in bed or pee on Elizabeth Shue's couch, which I would guarantee would be hap- would be happening if mm-hmm. he's drinking this heavily. Mm-hmm. But off to Vegas we go, and it's kind of, we get the title. I, I love films that give us the titles, like, super late into the movie. I think this is like, we were like 20 minutes in, right? Yeah. Titles come up leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> and that's cut together with our other character, Sarah, S-E-R-A, uh, Who's a call girl, call girl, hooker, sex worker, escort, whatever you want to call her, uh, coming up to a job here. And so is Julian Sands. Is that like her pimp, her yeah. John? Mm-hmm. 
who kind of just disappears from the movie. Obviously, I think they killed him, right? Right. So he's a terrible pimp because he's got one one trick. Yeah. Her. And, of course, it, that's a little on the nose. It's abusive and all of those things that you kind of would expect. And But what it's not is a representation of a traditional hooker with the heart of gold, which is what Sarah is. That's a role that's been played a lot in film. Mm -hmm. Um, What I think she's able to do with Julian Sands is create this veil of vulnerability or desperation that at best is quelled for the day and at worst insatiable she is truly troubled Mm -hmm. and if you're going to make such a bad decision to choose julian sands to be your pimp and let's be honest about it he's not a good one yeah uh because the russian mafia is chasing him he's got his own paranoias yeah so and he's trying to avoid them with one girl on the street with i'm sure a large sum of money that he owes and that pathetic bit in the pawn shop where he's trying to pawn off his jewelry for thousands of dollars yep getting nickels on the on the dollar she makes bad choices yeah. with men. I wanted to ask you specifically about her. I don't know if you want to do it now or you want to wait. Go ahead. Yeah. Whose movie is this? Is it hers or is it his? Kind of feels like her movie, right? Well, is it? yeah, it does. Is that because he, by default, becomes the antagonist and she's the protagonist? Or is it really just her movie? Because um, he has more screen time. Yeah. He does kind of become a little bit of the antagonist. I mean, he becomes like a parasite to her, right? Yeah. I mean, but it's a parasite that she needs for companionship. Mm-hmm. This is a romantic movie, but like... Yeah, it was a romance. They don't consummate until the end, and it's like a death fuck. <laughs> like, yeah. Because yeah. uh, he also probably can't get it up because he's just drinking so heavily throughout the... We'll talk about that later, but... She needs him for this companionship piece, and we can talk a little bit about that later. But there was times throughout the movie I was like, this kind of feels like her vehicle right now. Like, she's driving the the, the story. She's trying to take care of him and doesn't want him to succumb, but won't change him. Won't want him to seek out help until that one scene later. Yeah, yeah. I think I, at times I was like, this is kind of turning into lead character here. Is it a miss that she's not nominated for Best Actress? Oh, absolutely. I think so, too. Yeah. We should look what else was nominated that year or who won. Because I don't think this got nominated for Best Picture, either. No, I think and it shouldn't, soul nomina- shouldn't have been. Sole nomination and award yeah. was Cage. Oh, yeah, absolutely a miss. She's great in this in, in this movie. Um, her little testimonials, which I would imagine would be to a therapist. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Yep. Really, really well done. And you're trying to kind of piece together, like, the relationship and, like, what her job is. And it's freaking awful. I mean, just some of the grotesque descriptions of <laughs> when I come home, I taste mouthwash because I got to get the cum out of my mouth. Like, what? It's just, like, awful. Just don't do it in my hair because I'm washed in it. There's a frankness in the discussions that they have. And I guess there would be if you're with a drunk and a prostitute. Yeah. But I can't tell in Ben, that's Nicholas Cage's character. I can't tell in Ben's dialogue to Sarah if he's trying to be funny, he's trying to be honest, or he's trying to be loving, complimentary, and incapable of it. That line that's got to be one of the top 100 lines in all of film 
filmed them, which is every time I give you money, I feel like I want to come. Yeah. When he tells that tells her that he'd like to pay for the rent when she lets him shack up with her is so cutting. And there's one after another of these terrible things that these two say to each other. But it's not in an argumentative or aggressive way. They're not trying to fight. They just say terrible, terrible things, which is like, there is uh, probably 10 or 15 times. I, I, oof, she's like, here's this woman that you're crazy about and this crazy about you too. And she's giving you every opportunity to stop this silly quest that you've been taking, which is just to drink yourself to death. Yeah. And she's gorgeous. Yeah. And although troubled and broken, I think redeemable. Yeah. I think there's an out for her to get out of this line of work. Uh, As much as she tries to save him, mm -hmm. he has no preconceived notions about wanting to offer her the same favor. Oh, I think the most that he gives is the earrings later, right? Oh, and then when he does, that's the worst part that he tells her. Basically, I want you to feel these when you're bent over a penthouse getting rammed in the ass. And I want you to feel the cold. And she looks at him like, she's like about to cry. Yeah. Because that's an issue, too. That's very um, Bonnie and Clyde, isn't it? Mm-hmm. They can't consummate this relationship. And so instead of consummating it and proving that he cares for her mm-hmm. in whatever way that would prove it to her, which makes a lot of sense because that's the the industry that she trades in, right? Mm-hmm. And as hollow as those those tricks and those johns are, at least there's a physical connection. It's really frustrating for her to watch there be a physical connection but no or emotional connection but no physical connection cuz he can't and then what he leaves her with is the hot cold stab in the back of your ear as somebody else is fucking you yeah that's what you tell your girlfriend yeah that's what makes him villainous yeah i mean yeah it's those th- those moments and kind of just his behavior throughout the thing yeah you're right he is fairly irredeemable doesn't really do a lot of good, right? I mean, no. he causes more problems than anything. Even the end when... And I will get to the end in a minute because yeah. I've got a whole thing on that, but... Yeah. Oh, let me read this. Uh, she, she was nominated for Best Actress, and Figgis was nominated for Best Director. Mm. He didn't win. Who won Best Actress that year, did you see? Yeah, so here... The nominations that year were Emma Thompson for Sense and Sensibility. Give me a fucking break. Meryl Streep for The Bridges of Madison County. Gee, who won? Uh, Sharon Stone for Casino. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Shue. And then Susan Saran did one for Dead Men Walking. I've never seen that movie, so. That's a solid film. Yeah. but I thought that uh, Bridges Madison County would have won. Yeah. That's Clint Eastwood, too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Speaking of Clint. <laughs> I wonder if he was nominated that year for Best Actor. Nope. Who are the Best Actor nominees? So, have it? Cage won, mm-hmm. and also nominated for Richard Dreyfuss for Mr. Holland's Opus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthony Hopkins for Nixon, Sean Penn for Dead Man Walking, and Marismo Torisi for The Postman. Probably should have gone to Sean Penn for Dead Man Walking. Yeah. You've never seen that film. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, pretty solid uh, nom- nomination list there. But That Sarandon nominee, though, Jesse, that's Lifetime Achievement. Yeah, right. That's, yeah. that's that award. That's that. It's mm-hmm. funny that Meryl Streep came up on that list again, though, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. She's every list every year. All the time. Cool, yeah. Yeah. But no, yeah, I think we're in an interesting place here. So Cage gets to to Vegas, ready for his death bender, almost runs over her in the street, and they kind of have a, a tit for tat, and she throws him the finger, and it's like, ah, I'll never see that person again. 
and he gets this room at the what's it called the years something the, in the the whole yeah your year in the whole year the whole year w h o l e year and, e a r i n n and then his vision turns it into the whole year in pretty clever yeah but yeah he's ready to go i mean and then so th- they run into each other again and He's kind of wondering, like, how much and would you want to come back to my room with me? So it, it kind of starts out as just like, let's have some fun. Let's see where this goes and can't really perform right. I mean, he kind of has he has that moment of impotence and then it just kind of turns into companionship, which I thought was a fairly interesting way to go with this. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what she's after, right? Yeah. A man in her life that isn't going to be abusive, isn't going to be harmful, isn't going to just use her as an object. And she kind of sees that in him in, in Cage's drunken state, right? Yeah. That there there is a moderate level of compassion there, even though I don't think he ever realizes that. There's a boundless amount of care that she's going to offer him for nothing mm-hmm. in return except companionship. But what kind of companionship is that, Jesse? Yeah. He's having to take care of him all the time. Well, barely coherent. Yeah. They're not having great discussions. They're certainly not having great sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she she tries a hundred different ways from Sunday mm-hmm. to get it to happen. Yeah. And it's close a couple times. And then one time after another, he always screws it up. Yeah. She buys him gifts. She She licenses her entire future on a guy that tells her there are two rules if we hang out. Number one. You have to be okay with this plan that I've come up with, which I'm going to drink myself to death about four weeks. Mm-hmm. And number two, the line in the sand that he draws, which is, you can't ask me to stop drinking. Yeah. There's no way any woman would do that. But she takes it on because in the short term, she figures it's better than being lonely and coming home to a bottle of mouthwash to you know rinse the taste of cum out of her, out of yeah. her mouth. Yeah. Uh, it's really sad. It is sad. I mean, she deserves a far better fate. Yeah. She's got quite a stigma attached to her too. I mean, at her apartment building, right? Mm-hmm. She comes home with a with a walk of shame past the pool and they're always cleaning it or there's someone out there that spots her coming home late yeah. in these skimpy outfits. And then when Kate, when she brings Cage there to, to come live with her, he shows up drunk and they've about had it with her too, right? Yeah. Just kind of the vibe she's bringing down on this place. And she needs it. I mean, she needs this home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's trying. She's trying hard, and yeah, Cage isn't gonna make that 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 easier for for any of them. Um, you want to talk about Mike Figgis for a bit, or just your experience with him? Because I, I except this film and few films that I recognize in his filmography, it's a disaster. <laughs> Time code. Um, You've talked about that one before. Yeah, that's a weird film. Uh, it's not good. Look, you would think that after Mike Figgis did this movie, you would see at least two or three great, mm-hmm. even in concept ideas going forward. Um, what was the other one you mentioned? Um, well, the one that popped up to me, and I hadn't thought about this movie in like 20 years, was Cold Creek Manor. Yeah, Cold Creek. Yeah. Dennis Quaid. Yeah. So what lies beneath the knockoff? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's not able to translate it in anything worthwhile. Um but I do think Mike Figgis handles this material quite well. I almost don't think he was their first choice. 
I think like what happens on occasion is the material was either so unsavory or salacious or so unmarketable that it got passed over and passed over and passed over. And Cage said as much in that interview that we saw, like everybody mm-hmm. passed on that script, but I thought there was a great opportunity there to his credit. There was, he won an Academy Award for it. It's also though a pretty straightforward tale that I think has been told before the woman who takes on the addict and through mm-hmm. undying love attempts to fix or save them. Yeah. That's not entirely uncommon. The only thing I guess a little bit different here is that she's not an addict herself as, as well. I mean, it's a different type of, right. But she's not a drug user. I mean, she has a drink here or there as yeah. part of the, the game, right? To, kind of a healthy hooker. Yeah. Yeah. If so, well, well, she was in great shape, right? Remember, we, we she's said, a, to you know what? I'm Elizabeth Shue. <laughs> God bless you. Did you kind of put think, a lot of work into herself? Uh, oh yeah, uh, did, in did, a good way. I'm not trying to be like she's. She looks great. Did you kind of think too? Because I would, these two are always kind of interchangeable for me. Kind of it's like Jennifer Jason Lee. You think passed on this role? Like they're so similar, the two of them. Yeah, I'm glad she did though. Yeah, for this, I think Elizabeth Shue has been one that uh, Hollywood's missed on a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you like The Boys mm-hmm. on Amazon? Mm-hmm. She's not in that anymore, but she was in it for a little while. And I thought she was. That's a wild show, yeah. She's really good in just about everything she's been in. Mm -hmm. I really like her in Cocktail, too. I know that's crazy, but back to the Tom Cruise reference earlier, she's really good in that. The one film we did do that she wasn't great, or she was fine, but the film's garbage was Hollow Man. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't her fault, though. It was just a terrible film. Do you remember her great line? That is that that clip that just made us die when. Kevin Bacon goes, motherfucker, mm-hmm. is when Brolin shows up and she's like, I almost had to get started without you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Just a terrible film. But she's, yeah, she's great here. And so her plan is admirable. Um, well, hold on. What did you think about the choice of Figgis in this? Can you see someone else handling this? He does have bring an artistic flair to a rather dark story. I kind of thought that our artistic flair might have been a little distracting. Yeah. So maybe if this was done a little bit more straight, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of someone at the at, around this time, like Soderbergh doing this would be very interesting. He did train spotting, Danny Boyle. There you go. Yeah, uh, maybe not. Then. Maybe not. <laughs> Let's lock the Danny Boyle. But Soderbergh, like, yeah, a kind of a raw like sex lies and videotape, kind of like around this era. I sure. could see him doing this. This would have been right before Out of Sight. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's a, he's an interesting choice, but again, I I know very little of his filmography other than Cold Creek Manor. But there's nothing in there anybody wanted to see. Yeah, the one you asked me—that's the Wesley Snipes one. That's that. Um, was it called One Night Stand? I think I did see that. Yeah, I'd have to go back and watch the trailer. Wesley Snipes, Robert Downey Jr., and Kyle MacLachlan. Yeah, written by Joe Esterhaus, who then took his name off it when Figgis came back and rewrote a script. Maybe Figgis is hard to work with. That might be. That might, he might have a, just a vibe and just like, you know what, let's push this guy away. But anyway, so nominated for Best Director, nominated for Best Film, nominated his project, nominated for Best Actress, his actor nominated for Best Actor wins. That usually leads you to something big next. Mm-hmm. And his follow-up film is nothing. Yeah. And the rest of his career, mostly, I don't want to say nothing. He works. He's not unemployed. But it's it's very... Nothing we remember, yeah. Tepid choices that yeah man time code cold creek manor and what lies beneath jv let's talk about cage for a little bit just this performance he has i think one of maybe the best aspects is 
the makeup that they put on him. Boy, his eyes are dark. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got alcoholic eyes like to the T yeah. and then he, he's sweating the whole time and he's pale, pale, pale sweating gin. Yeah. Oh, gross. <laughs> it's gotta be right. And his hair. I mean, his hair is interesting. It's almost like a reddish Brown and curly mm-hmm. with the receding hairline. And I was like, I've never seen Cage with this type of hair before. This pre, is, yeah, this is pre-wigs or hair implants and pre-veneers. Yeah. I like that version of Nick Cage better. That's a little rough. Rough around the edges, yeah. And Ben yeah. is not kept. Mm-hmm. He would look like that. Yeah. What Slowly was, deteriorating, yeah. And what I love about it, too, is they kind of dress him in, I think, purposely slightly oversized suits. Did you notice that? Yeah. They're a little bit too big in the shoulders. They're a little bit too uh, fluffy or blousy through the through that, the chest because a, he's probably drank away a lot of his body mass. And that was kind of a '90s thing too, right? Was like over, it was like not fitted suits, which I'm not a fan of. Like I, I want to be tailored to Daniel Craig and Bond. Like I wanted to like on hug, me, hug right? you, yeah, yeah. But that was kind of the look. I mean, in this kind of coral shirt that she buys for him with the navy pants. I mean, it's so '90s as you said. Yeah, uh, but. I, I like the look. I like his just kind of his whole how they made if they, they wanted to paint an alcoholic who's going on the death bender. I think they nailed it with how they how they put him together. I think the performance is pretty good, too. I mean, the shakes. I mean, that was that was troubling to me waking up in the middle of the night and it's, mm-hmm. they're almost like seizure like. He's like, I got to get some booze in me. I got to put something together. I mean, when he crawls to the fridge to make a screwdriver in the middle of the night, like. Yeah, we're dealing with an addict here. I never looked into the script, but I was wanted to know if the piece where she finally gets him to sit down and maybe eat some, some chow mein, and instead of using the chopsticks for the rice, he uses the chopsticks to take out an ice cube from his vodka tonic. Mm-hmm. Man, I wonder if that was ad-libbed or that was in the script. If that's ad-libbed, that's mm. really, really good acting. Yeah. And so, into like, really understanding that character. Yeah, that's absolutely what Ben would do. He would pass on the broccoli or even something as bland that you might be able to digest to digest as rice Mm -hmm. or the rocks in your rocks glass of your gin and tonic or just straight. Yeah. I I wonder. Yeah. That'd be a good move. He does seem pretty in tune with this character. Boy, oh boy, doesn't he? Maybe more so than last week when he was playing himself, allegedly. Let's Uh, let's talk about that for one second. Back to that same interview. Yeah. He hired a guy that was a alcoholic poet Mm -hmm. to basically live with him just so he could observe him for six weeks prior to shooting. I'll give him credit. That's certainly studying your craft and becoming an expert on the matter that you'd like to cover. Mm-hmm. But there's, it's also kind of gross, isn't it? Yeah. I, I don't want to sing his praises on that because that's some guy's misery that you're paying to indulge so that you can Im- imitate on screen. Uh, but, man, he's good at it. Yeah. I think I think he observed some dark stuff then probably. Did you think in this film at all about how much liquor he actually consumed himself because lost, lost count man do you think well, i know i mean like physically like real do you think oh. that's just like water with food coloring or do you think he's really downing some of that i stuff? did i did think that uh when they go when they're eating at the mall and the food court and he's has a beer beer at the food court mm-hmm. uh just i was like that might be like apple juice or mm. some sort of like ginger ale but they got the beer foam like perfect on top so I wonder, I mean, it's kind of frowned upon to, like, actually drink in those scenes because you have to do them multiple times and you're just going to get sloshed. 
Um, and this feels like a fairly well put together pr- production that didn't need to go that route. Like if this was like seventies, like grindhouse. Yeah. They're drinking you mean and the movie Popeye. Yeah. Yeah. They're really drinking. They're, they're really smoking a joint. Like they're really imbibing in those things, but I would want to say it was mostly fake, but maybe they snuck a few real ones in there to like lend some authenticity. I wonder too, because I don't think in massive talent that was fake. I feel like he really was drinking in massive talent. Mm. But he drinks a lot in that film, too. I, I don't know about Nick Cage and his proclivities you think this with is substances. A theme? Mm. Couldn't you see him being a guy that drank a little bit? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, from the Coppolas, there certainly was plenty of wine around. <laughs> the wines at the wine. I mean, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying anything that makes me think he's an alcoholic or anything like that. But I think he probably is, knows his way around a bottle well, of I would wanna, I, I don't want to spoil next week, but there is... A drinking scene next week too mm. so yeah maybe you're on to something but yeah he's really good at it and like so yeah she gives him these gifts this coral shirt and you want to go gambling tonight like let's actually like spend the night together i don't have to go be with men tonight or mm. or women um we can just spend time together and that that was like the moment when they kiss there at the slot machines is like the moment of like he even says i love you in that scene too as they're like, he's knocking shit over. Um, she says it to him also. Yeah. So they're there, right? I mean, they're there in that moment. I think they both really are into each other. But it just all self-destructs with just the drinking. And it's this scene at the blackjack table, and he just flips out, right? Mm-hmm. And why does he flip out? Because they didn't have the drink he wanted? Yeah, the waitress won't serve him anymore. I'd like to go back and rewatch that scene because... it. it it's almost like Figus said, Cage, go, do what you want. And he slaps that glass. It almost looks like it hits Elizabeth's shoe in the face. I like, think it does, like, too. I noticed like that as well. it grazes her. Yeah. And to her, if it did, to her, and then she just keeps going with it as he crashes his table, starts beating it up, and then he's escorted out. It's rough. I mean, that's that's the Cage moment of the film, right? It's just un loose rage rage cage <laughs> oh there you go hashtag <laughs> hashtag and, rage cage and he's warned her about these moments yep he said look Sarah, the last couple days because you're my angel and you look after me have been pretty good days and if those are pretty good days <laughs> but he said you haven't seen the worst i break things i have wild outbursts and then on what should be one of the best days they've spent together because she's not going to go out and turn any tricks mm-hmm. and they're trying to build something that's enjoyable together Gosh, he can't get out of his own way. Well, so isn't that a big moment too? So when he comes back that night, is that's when he crawls and he's got the the shakes in the middle of the night and his jack is empty next to him. So he goes and makes that screwdriver. But then she's tried to keep him on the couch, but then he goes and gets in the bed with her, right? You think, okay, it's about to happen. Yeah. Because that's been an underlying theme in this. And in some of the things that I spoke about earlier where they say things to each other and maybe it's comedy and maybe it's just honesty, but either way, they're they're biting she says things to him like, you know, um, oh, what's that line? He's, he goes some, it's some setup like, uh, I'm jealous of the other men who get to know you. And she said, I'm, you should ask me. I might be willing to. Some, I'll, I'll show you. Yeah. You don't even have to ask or something like that. Yeah. There's just this almost self-deprecating wicked humor that's running between the two of them about the state that the two of them are in. Point being, that's it's set up that this relationship, which she is dying to consummate for validity, and I think appreciation as something more than being used. Yeah. Because even though he's not a John to her, 
she's still being used. Mm-hmm. She's she's offering her services, whether it be for the the Johns in, in in Vegas for money or for him the bin in her house for companionship. None of it's real. Yeah. If he doesn't really want to fuck her or have sex with her, then that's not validated. And here we go, right? Great night. She keeps him from getting his ass kicked by the bouncers at the casino. Gets him home, mostly in one piece. He crawls his way into her bed. And the night ends, I think, with her rolling over to her left shoulder and crying herself to sleep. Well, this is when he sees the scars, right? Yeah, which are the result of her terrible pimp cutting her. Yeah. Underneath her thigh. But he tells her, this is weird too, because he tells her he's going to go out and get something to eat. And he pulls up the back of her shirt Mm -hmm. and he starts caressing the small of her back. And usually, I mean, that's what leads, A leads to B. Yeah. Tab B slot A, right? But no. He finds the battle scars. Yeah. It's like there's another hurdle in this, bringing this relationship together. Mm -hmm. Yep. I had to ask you a question. Okay. I know that they get a lot of drama out of that conflict, the lack of consummation between the two, the fact that he just can't seal the deal despite her literally throw this beautiful woman throwing herself at him because the bottle's more beautiful, less shapely, though. Yep. Does the movie change? I don't know. Have you seen that Jack Daniels bottle? Pretty nice looking. Quite shapely. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Does the movie change if at some point they do? Spend the night together like that? Does it change that for you? I think it makes it even more tragic at the end. I, I it probably does. And then the the route that the film decides to to go, and he kind of does that with Mariska Hargitay. Yeah, makes it even more stinging, right? That you can't do it with me, but you're able to do this with her. Maybe if the I, I, yeah, I don't even know if they have finished or not. Yeah, I, I wondered that myself too. But just how damning that is to her, I don't know. I think it might change the film. Actually, I, I think mean, it makes it sadder. Yeah, that's it is kind of going to happen at the end, and we'll get to that when we get there. But the Mariska Hargitay part that we were just speaking of is she goes out to work, yeah, and he goes to the bar, or goes to the casino, and he's playing craps. He runs into Mariska Hargitay, who we have seen earlier in the film, watching uh, Sarah get thrown out of a bar because she rolls on Arlie. Er- What's his name? Ermy. Yeah, Arlie Ermy. Arlie Ermy. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And she kind of laughs. Ha ha, you couldn't get this guy. So she has a natural rival, sort of. Yeah, it's it's fairly... Not brief. developed at all. Yeah, it's very brief. But <laughs> you then, even had to tell me. Yeah, had you not told me, I don't think I would have remembered that reference. So, so then she spots Ben at the craps table and takes him home with the same line that Sarah used on Arlie Ermy. Yeah, it's close. Like I don't know because his trousers still on, mm-hmm. but he does have like lipstick on his, his abdomen, and she's pretty much down to the pink. So, any either way, whether they do or don't. This woman who's given you her house and bought you gifts and tried to support all of these really self-detrimental activities that you engage in, but you won't return the favor to. Give me one thing, she asks. Yeah. You won't return the favor to, and now you're ready to bed some whore that picked I think, you up? I think Figgis should have defined that a little bit better because that's that's a big moment because they go on their divergent paths at that point, and it is undefined if they 
did it or not. I mean, she's still broken up about it and wants him to get out of there. But don't you think, like, we should know? Like, it's just all up in the air to us. And I'm not making excuses for him because it's terrible what he does. But he's so loaded, I don't even know if he knows who he's with. Yeah. That's fair. It's not an excuse. Like, And it still plays in the film. Like, you have crossed a line with Sarah. You're so drunk, you don't even know who you're about to screw. Or but. It- I don't know, does it? No, because because it is so undefined. I don't know if there's, like, a call-girl rivalry between these two. Like, I don't know what's going on. But, like, as she's leaving, she should, like, tell Elizabeth Shue, oh, he was amazing. Bye. Or something like that. Just so we know, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We know what happened. Yeah. And we know their relate the relationship. Otherwise, why would she just keep showing up? Why, why would she even need to be in that scene with Arlie Ermey, right? I mean, what's the, the purpose of that is it's not well-developed. That's fair. Um. But this post-bed discovery of the scars, and I'm going to go get breakfast, and he ends up going to this biker bar or wherever, and this girl rolls up on him, and she's like, I don't want to be with my boyfriend. He's the worst, and it's like she starts flirting with him. All these people flirting with Nick Cage in this thing, and he looks a mess, man. Like, mm-hmm. who's flirting with that guy? Yeah. Um, gross. That girl at the beginning, though, she spurned his advances, right? Yeah. He, Valeria Galino. Yeah. <laughs> From Hot Shots. Yeah. Uh-huh. But she starts sucking on his ear, which that, that, that's an, that, that, that's just an interesting. Just I'm just going for the ear right away, that girl. Mm-hmm. Biker doesn't like it, punches Nick Cage right in the face, and he's all bloody. And this is this was kind of the gross moment of the film. So he comes back from this with the groceries of breakfast. I guess maybe he's going to make an omelet or something, but... Elizabeth Shoe's like, oh my God, what happened? Your coral shirt, it's ruined. It's all blood and he got blood. And then she starts sucking on his face and making out with him. And he's got blood everywhere. Like, whoo, man. Like, that is pretty gross. <laughs> it is gross. It's really gross. I don't even care if you're like married to the person or not or know them. And she barely knows him. Let's look on your blood face. <laughs> is it because he's so wounded and once again she's trying to fix him? Or is she just... Because I don't see her as someone that's S and M blood bondage weirdo. Oh, yeah. She's not that. So maybe it's, she's trying to just show she cares. But uh, yeah. that's an interesting way to show that you care about somebody. I, yeah, she could easily just put him in the shower or the bath, um, or even the bathroom, and just start toweling off the blood. And is then in that very common contrived way, although it's too contrived for probably this art house depiction of alcoholism. You know, she takes off his bloody shirt, and then there's his chest, and then we're in the bathroom, and blah, blah, blah. One thing leads to another, and then we get that moment that I asked you about where maybe they do seal the deal. I'd be okay with all that. I think I would, too. And again, none of this is changing what I'm going to say about the film or even my rating. It's just, it's just, I will say this. Her really, really aggressively kissing his bloody lips after the biker has broken his nose does certainly lead to some interesting thought or discussion. Mm-hmm. And it, this movie's really straightforward, everybody. Right, Nation? This movie's straightforward. This is about a man who drinks himself to death yeah. and the woman that loved him when he did it. That's that's the whole story. <laughs> yeah. But despite that, we're having some really, I don't know, I won't say intellectual. That sounds a bit arrogant. But some very cerebral dives into some of the other side pieces on this. I think that's yeah, where what, it's working. What it all means, yeah. So she tells him, and you were kind of waiting, like, she's got to go to work at some point, but she's like, what if we just get away for a bit? So they go to this weekend desert motel oasis to just get away from it all, and it looks like it's working. I mean, they're into each other, but this moment, this 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 was also crazy because, I don't know, there's just something about, in film, when 
actors just like suck on the nipples. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to be blunt about it because that's an intimate act. And maybe I've talked about it on that. Maybe I mentioned that during Halloween three season of the witch, but that's an interesting thing for two actors to be doing to each other. Yeah. Where, um, when you, when you, when you go there and then they, they show it, it's, it's almost off putting watching it on screen. And I'm not, I'm not like a prude or anything, but that's just, that's always been an interesting thing, like intimacy wise, but she's trying to get him right. I mean, she pours scotch all over her, her breasts and she's like, come on. And now they're, they're, they're lubed up for you, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he, it looks like they're, they're going, it's intimate. Let's go back to the room. And what does he do? Like, like a three stooges, he falls on this uh, glass coffee table. And then those help people come and we're like, you need to get out of here by tomorrow. That's kind of the moniker at the end of the day, right? Is we don't like your kind. We don't like your attitude or your behavior. And we need you out by Friday or we need you out by tomorrow. I don't know why I have this in my mind. Maybe I've read something or seen something with Elizabeth Shue that um, is making me recollect this, but I think she's very particular about nudity on film. Okay. I think what's interesting about this is as a prostitute, certainly the discussion had to come into like, look, I mean, you're working as a sex worker and for this to look authentic, there might need to be a couple moments where there's a little bit of skin on the screen for you. Sure. There isn't mm-hmm. until this moment. Yeah. I think that makes this all the more profound, not only for Nick Cage being all the way in, because I think he's all the way in, in this performance, mm-hmm. but for her. Yeah. Um, this moment of spontaneity. Go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to finish my thought on this little nipple gate. No, yeah, I'm going down the same road with you. Because, you know, sex scenes... Nipple gate. Sex scenes in film are fairly unglamorous the way they're shot. They're on... Sometimes they do a closed set, but they tape down your genitals. Yeah. Um, It's not romantic at all. No. Uh, But this is, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if Cage is... Married to somebody and or Elizabeth Shue, like this feels like you're crossing a boundary with your fellow actor, even though it is acting. That's just all I'm just going to say about that. Okay. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. Yeah. For her to do that in this film Mm -hmm. and allow that to happen and the camera is right in her kitchen. It is right there. There is no, that is not a body double. That is Elizabeth Shue and all of God's grandeur, right? Yeah. She must have read this script before she took this part. And she saw in those moments, I think, an opportunity to really make the audience believe how into this guy she was. There are certain actresses that we've all seen naked 100 times on film. Like, look at anything from the 1980s, and there's four or five of them that are naked all the time. Elizabeth Shue is not one of those. Again, I don't have the Mr. Skin references in front of me, but I think this might be it. All right? I'm serious. And the way we go about it, it's not just a little side boob or a a camera dancing across the crest of her breath. No, I mean, this is is basic instinct levels of sex on camera. It is, yeah. It is. It's shot like that, too. And the fact that she's okay with that told me that she really, really understood this character, Sarah. Sure. And then there's no way that Elizabeth Shue is truthfully into Nick Cage. Yeah. 
to let it play out the way it did and not have this guy who I'm sure in all of Nick Cage's moments where he just goes full Nick Cage, this sex sequence is probably one of those things. And I know what I'm going to do this time, Sarah, instead of just maybe nestling or rubbing or I'm going to take your breast. I'm going to put the whole thing in my mouth and we're going to, and she just lets it go. That's I'm going to give her a lot of credit. Yeah. That's a lot of bullshit she's got to put up with. Mm-hmm. So she's yeah, either. Nick Cage's possible method acting on this film. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so she's either really wanting to express this love that Sarah has for Ben and this desperation to finally bring this fruition, this consummation, to get in the sack with this drunk. Yeah. To, um, to, to Elizabeth Shue. It's not the worst it's going to get for her too, is it? Oh, boy. Yeah. So, yeah, this all kind of just goes to a head again. Can't consummate this thing. Uh, it's yeah, it falls on the table, and then the gal comes out and says, take your sorry butts out of here. We don't need losers like you at this Shantate motel in the middle of godforsaken nowhere. Yeah, this is a loser motel. <laughs> Lo- like Roach Motel, except it has a nice sunset. Yeah. And you can wheel the TV out to watch movies by the pool. But, like, it's, yeah, I feel bad for her because that just seems the, the moniker is as much as, as hard as she's trying to make it better for Nick Cage and herself and really try, things just slip it up, right? I mean, it's just one thing after the other. And so then we get to that moment with Mariska Hargitay and she says, get out of here. I'm done with you. Drink yourself to death. It's, that's fine. And she kind of goes on a bender in her own right, right? I mean, she gets thrown out of the casino that she was previously thrown out of and just kind of look. Julian Sands, by the way, is dead at this point. He's been dead for the last hour. I think the Russian mob got to him fairly early on, mm-hmm. which was that was surprising too. And yeah, these college kids just roll up on her and we're like, "How much?" And she's like, "I'm not. I don't. That that ain't me." And then she she has like a very specific price model, right? I mean, it's like two hundred for this, five hundred for the whole thing. It's three of your friends. You're all gonna have to pay pay the same and. She rolls up to this motel and it's just, it's a bad situation. Like, first of all, frat boy in yeah. <laughs> a football jersey. Yeah. In his football jersey. Cheese dick. And then like, they got this guy and they said he's never had sex before and he looks like a skinhead. Yep. Uh, and so she's like, I'm out of here. Like you guys don't have your shit together. Uh, and they don't let her leave. Right. And then just becomes this, just this guy just gangbang beat punch, the shit out of her and punches her, knocks her nearly unconscious and and he wants it in the ass, so then he's gonna he's gonna have that. This was rough. This was these scenes in film are always hard to sit through, but this is one of the more rougher ones that I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a gang rape. Yeah, and at this point, it's also rough, and I think this is why. Mm-hmm. Not that those are ever easy scenes to watch, mm-hmm. but I think you're like me on this one. I feel bad for Sarah. Yeah, I, I want I, I want the best for Sarah. I want to win for her at this point. Yeah, well said. Yeah. What's even worse than watching this happen is the post return to her house with no one there where she's huddled in some oh, in the shower, slightly turtled mass on the floor mm-hmm. and just letting the water rinse over her cuts on her face. And as we look kind of down, there's a trickle of blood coming out of her ass. Going to the drain. Oof, oh, man, brutal. God, that's hard to watch. Yeah. You just, your heart is breaking. Yeah. And you know what her, the, uh, alternative to that night was <laughs> hanging out with a loser drunk and yeah. still not having sex. Yep. they really do a good job, Jesse. Yeah. In this film, they maybe Mike Figgis and Elizabeth Shue and maybe the writer do a really good job with handling the consequences and the impact of sex with Sarah's character. Mm-hmm. 
that's a tricky, tricky thing for the reasons that you said, if you do it too much, then it becomes almost kind of laughable in a, you know, Paul Verhoeven basic instincts over the top kind of way. Yeah. And this movie is already over the top enough with Nicolas Cage and then Nicolas Cage is a drunk. They handle all that really well. Yeah. I think subtly, but not, I think so too. It never felt gratuitous. No, exactly. It, it felt like it was handled tactfully, but genuine. Yes. But the consequences of living that lifestyle and that profession seem extremely taxing on a human being. Yeah. The psychological, shit that they have to go through the types of people they have to go through just to make ends meet i mean i think that's the sad part at the end of the day is she's this is all she can do right i mean and she's trying to care for this sad sack of an alcoholic who we don't know what he's doing that in during these scenes right i mean wandering the town there's something of yeah there's something about women that play the role of sarah opposite the man out of control in film that seems to work well for me. Mm-hmm. That's Piper Laurie and the hustler as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, I've talked about that role a lot and everyone knows if you listen to the show regularly, how fond of Piper Laurie's performance and that I am, this is, this is right up there. Yeah. And I didn't know it until today. I've seen this movie twice before this. I saw it in the theater. I saw it about two years after I've not seen it since probably 1998. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time. Um, but man, that really, really stuck out to me today. Sure. That's why I asked you earlier: Is it her vehicle? Because I think my answer is it's. Oh, she, her. I think it, she's carrying. She's carrying a lot of the load here right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Nick Cage's method acting his way to the end of this film. I think the amount of weight that she takes on from his bullshit as an alcoholic makes it makes his performance all the better. Sure. Yeah, she definitely enhances it. Yeah. So she gets kicked out of her apartment, and then she's trying to find him. She goes to that hotel. We don't know where he's at. So she's just kind of looking, trying, trying to find him, trying to any, any inkling of him. And so how did, how did this happen? Did she call him or did he call her? He called her miraculously. He yeah. got a hold of her, I guess, as she was heading out the door of her last apartment, because I don't know where she would be. He wouldn't have her number at the new apartment. No, he wouldn't. So, and it does look like it's pretty much empty. So I think that she's moving out. Okay. We want to do the end? Yeah, let's do the end. This was also fairly troubling. Um, mm-hmm. He's in some just another dilapidated hotel mm-hmm. dying in this bed. The shakes, the gasping for air. He's got a bottle next to him that's that's empty. Like, this is, this, this is it. It didn't even show him in good lighting. I mean, he looks like a corpse. And she's just like, what's going on? And it's kind of like a... Let's patch things up thing because even she probably realizes this is it. This is this is the end. So then she starts by giving him a death handy and then Well he starts first. Yeah. That, let, let, all right, let, yeah. let's talk about this for a minute too. <laughs> is he doing that because he's trying to give her the one piece of this relationship that she never got? I or because so. I, I don't think he's in a state where arousal is possible. Yeah. Like, no. He's not like, yeah, I'm ready to go. He's about to die. Yeah. So he's trying to repay the favors that she's given him yeah. uh, pathetically. Yeah. Yeah. So she kind of gets it going and then she climbs on top and has the worst sex ever. Yeah. He's not, he's not even moving. I think, and she's not even moving either. And then he lasts about 10 seconds, right? Yeah. And then she just kind of gets off, lays next to him. Do you, did you notice something in that too? Okay. So yeah. let's break down the geography of another sex. Scene <laughs> let's <another>. do it. <laughs> If she's on top and he's a willing participant, you could see, and I do 
think that Elizabeth Shue is a good actor and actress and she would know how to do this. Like you could see with the thrust sort of like the rising and falling of her body on screen. Yeah. Did you notice there's like three or four, and I mean slight, yeah. jerks. Yeah. Where if her shoulders are at point A and yeah. point C would be like full on thrust. Yeah. She maybe gets to A, <laughs> not even to B. It was more than you saw because I didn't think she moved at all. I think she just like got on and was just like maybe some slight rocking back and forth. And Okay. I, I wish we had it if we were on YouTube. So what Jesse did right there is yeah. rocking back and forth. <laughs> no, no, I'm not trying to be stupid. No, yeah. Rocking back and forth versus rising and falling. Yeah. If she's rocking back and forth, that'd be her writing. But if she's rising and falling, that'd be him thrusting. Oh, I mean, he's not doing anything. He's right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's nothing happening there. And that, he's, Jesse, that's acting. Yeah. That's what I'm getting to. Like that oh, is yeah. her handling this so well. Absolutely. Yes. Cage is just like, I'm just going to be here. Layer like a dead drunk fish. Yeah. And like, again, I, I don't know how it was even possible in the first place in his condition, but you never had any idea that when we cut the show today, we were going to spend 15 to 20 minutes of the show talking about sex on camera. Were you? Well, ask me what you asked me midway through this, through, through watching it. Like Is this movie, what you thought it would be. No, let me give you my best inkling of what this movie was going to be about. I kind of thought, I knew the, the alcoholism angle. It was There was like an addiction story. So I just kind of thought that was going to be coupled with he was like an expert like gambler, mm -hmm. like Rain Man or just like knew his way around a craps or a blackjack table and was going to turn those winnings and self-destruct by means of alcoholism. And then he has this female counterpart. I didn't know she was going to be a call girl or whatever. But yeah, really far from what I kind of thought. I mean... Las Vegas is an interesting backdrop, but I can see this taking place anywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't feel like Vegas was like detrimental to the plot of the story. Right. Um, so that's why I kind of thought there was this gambling aspect to it. But oh yeah, I, yeah, I didn't think we'd be in this kind of territory here, but she gets off of him and then lays next to him and that's kind of it. And we fade to black and then come back. Is his final line? Wow. Yeah. And then his hand like declutches like the sheets. And I think that's where we're supposed to assume he's dead now, right? Wow. Yeah. God, that was wow. <laughs> Imagine if you had been an active participant, what wow could have been. Yeah. One more reason sort of to hate him. So what kills you in that state? I mean, it's not like he died like Hendrix and choked on his own vomit. Is this hard to stop? He just Mal drank so much? or Malnourished and liver failure. And yeah, <sighs> that sounds awful. Yeah. That sounds painful. Terrible. And so she's just sitting there in the bed with his now dead corpse. And then we kind of wrap up with her in her like therapy session, I guess, trying to make sense of what the last month was like for her life. Mm -hmm. Kind of messed up a lot of messed up stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know kind of what she does going forward. I mean, the film doesn't tell us, doesn't have a title card of Sarah went to limited edition where 12 acts of terrorism were found. It's not that type of movie. I mean, we're left to decide. Does she, I, I feel like she gets out of that profession. I hope so. And moves and tries to do something else. Do you want her to be happy? Oh yeah. Okay. That's a big moment. You guys. Yeah. Cause I feel the same way. We were really sold on caring about Sarah and that is job number one maybe one a and one b would be tell an entertaining story that people care about and number two is make the people in it mm -hmm. some that they care the people care about yeah like the story and like the people playing in the story yeah and it's yeah i'm with you i hope she finds something great yeah interesting though we seemingly don't care about the lead character right 
No, he kind of felt to his own devices. Well, that I'd forgotten that he said, wow, that line pisses me off. Yeah. That was wow. Like this (laughs) woman has been trying to get you to play ball the whole time. Yeah. And it was good enough for your drunken ass to say, wow. And whatever D D minus version of sex, you call that. I got it. I got to say this. Uh, and it's almost selfish that he doesn't say, I love you. It's selfish that he says, wow. Yeah, it is. Fuck you, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I think his self-destructive behavior, I maybe want to know more about what happened. And did his wife cheat on him? Did something? Did their kid die? What made him turn into this? Because he is extremely steadfast on, I will not stop drinking. And yeah. I will not stop this deathbender I'm on. I won't even stop for Elizabeth Shue, as amazing as she looks and is. That had to have been pretty awful then, right? Yeah. Something that just clicked for him and was like, I'm going out and nothing's going to change that. Mm. So I don't know what it is. You know, I was thinking about that picture when you just said that. Mm -hmm. What if in that picture he's in a really nice, fine, tailored, fitted suit instead of the sort of sloppy ones we see him in a little bit later? Mm Mm-hmm. Just that slight subtle tweak, because I think he's in like a Hawaiian shirt with a pair of sunglasses on, some kind of florally print thing. And he does look a little bit better than his current state. Certainly. Yeah. Better head of hair, cleaner, maybe at like some formal family, like a formal event or a family thing. I'm not saying at Disneyland or something like that. That could have been really loaded to say just this precipitous fall from where it was to where mm. it is. Not that we're not getting that from what's going on, but there's that, that might be a bit of a miss there. I think uh, so. It's the only clue we get. You could tease me out a little bit more with it. I know it is the only clue because when the film starts, I mean, he's already, he's going. Mm-hmm. He's in the middle of it. It was his opening. And has been doing it for a while, I would imagine, mm-hmm. to get fired the next day. Yep. Uh, that's the end of the film. Title cards come out leaving Las Vegas and does Sting play us out? Yeah, he does. He does. Because I made a joke about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, at least six or seven times. And then two Don Henleys and then some just interesting jazz combo piece with the snare drum, which I like. I like that. That's very Whiplash and Birdman to me. Yeah. But... It's this, maybe it's just the smooth jazz because like, that that is not for me at all. That Kenny G ification of jazz is not my gig. And this is like Sting's impersonation of it. And Don Henley. At least get Diana Krall if you're going to do that. Don't get Sting. What are those guys doing? I don't know. Henley, maybe more so. Terrible. Oh, bad decision making. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rod Stewart was busy that weekend, so they went with Henley and Sting. They might have, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What was your favorite tasty note of leaving Las Vegas? Uh, I think that I know you hate these scenes, but I think this is really well done. The dinner scene where we have the breakup between Ben and Sarah is handled really, really well. And if you remember in that scene, oh, the, the chow mein bit. Yeah. Yeah. She says, I think you should see a doctor. She doesn't quite get to the point where she says, I want you to stop drinking, but it's headed down that. And that's the only time in this film where he doesn't have a retort to thing, anything anybody says, mm-hmm. Sarah, I'm not going to see a doctor. Yeah. And then she throws her chopsticks and says, I ask you for one thing and you could at least repay me this. And, and he just stands there, sits there dumbfounded. No response. That is a wicked, yeah, hard fight we're watching. But it's not throwing plates and smashing and saying things about each other's mothers. It's really quietly understated in his performance. And as, as much as I've been very pro-shoe this film, Dick. surprisingly, Cages. subtle 
do nothing Nick Cage works well in this moment. Works well in that scene, yeah. Which is something we'll get from him often. Well, the, you even audibly made a comment too about. So when she's preparing that meal and she's like, I think you could handle some rice. I'm going to make you some rice for dinner. And he like comes in like <laughs> he mm. comes in shaking to the kitchen and comes with two bottles of vodka. And then when he leaves the kitchen clutching them and he's like, mm-hmm. oh, man, mm-hmm. he's in a state. Bad, bad, shape. bad shape. I'm going to go with the Nicolas Cage moment of the film. His freak out at the casino. I mean, that was just I think it was just like Figus was like. Do what you think. The goal is to get arrested out of this casino. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll get arrested. He almost blinded Elizabeth Shue in the process, but man, he goes full cage. And, you know, that's what I think what we wanted last week, right? Yeah. That was just so yes. watered down yes. in that film was let him loose and let him let him see what he can do. And he was like punching that blackjack tail. He might have broken some bones in his hands, but he just he just goes for it. And I can really appreciate appreciate when he does that. Good. What's the Oh my god! I think we might have the same one on Quite those. several to choose from. It's shoe in the shower. Yeah. With the blood trickling. That is, yeah, that is troubling. The gang rape scene, that is also extraordinarily troubling that I don't even want to talk about it again. I got to go with the sucking of the blood on the face. I mean, that is just a level of compassion that is just really disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Take get diseases, people. She doesn't even know him. <laughs> <laughs> well, his body's probably sterile with all the liquor in there. Okay, good. About as sterile blood as you can get. Good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's gross. Uh, who's the master distiller on Leaving Las Vegas? I'm giving it to Shu. It's pretty good. I mean, for all the accolades given to Cage, you're right. I mean, she should have been right there. It should have been a one-two punch, right? Mm-hmm. I got it. I got you gotta let me pick her too. Okay, I mean, yeah. she's 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 great, and you know whether it's the Karate Kid or not, Hollow Man. Um, but when she shows up, I mean, she's a welcome presence. I mean, she's never terrible, really. Mm-hmm. Um, this has to be her best acting performance role. I mean, this then this was just hidden within Nick Cage's filmography, right? Mm-hmm. And it is her movie. I mean, to the point where you're just like, she's the lead character. She's taking care of everything. She's dealing with the blunt of all the bullshit. Well, I think if you look at the title, maybe it is her movie. Yeah. You can't leave Vegas if you're mm. dead. She's the one leaving Las Vegas. At the end of the film, yeah. Maybe we should read the book. Maybe we should. So this is based on a book, and maybe it's a little more clear the intentions of who's in charge or who the lead is. Yeah. Because maybe if it's told from her perspective, because there is this... Om- it would seem like it should be, right? There is this omniscient, I'm talking to an unseen therapist vibe, and if that's the first person POV through the novel, maybe. Mm. Oh, I like that, Jesse. Yeah. Maybe I'd find this book. Yeah. Okay. How are you going to rate and grade Leaving Las Vegas? We have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Tippy Top Shelf. Where are you going with this one? Uh, single Barrel for me. Okay. Uh, I think it was close to being Top Shelf. Figus might not have been the right choice. Although he does do a fine job with it. There's a couple what about, of... What about Paul Schrader? Yes. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. Yeah. There's a couple of moments in there that are a little bit not great. Uh, I think the troubling thing about this film is it's not real high on the enjoyment meter. Oh, no. I'm yeah. not ready to sit down and watch this again, maybe ever again for the rest of my life. Sure. I will tell you, though... From the first time I saw it till now, that scene with Shu in the shower has never left my mind. I still remember her sitting there in that huddled mass with the blood trickling. That's powerful. Very powerful. There's big moments. 
you do feel bad for Nick Cage and you're just praying that sooner or later she's going to love him hard enough that he'll figure it out and, and at least start the process, not just give up on her and him and this whole thing. Um, but there is some meat on the bone, I think, that could just not quite get it to... Because because it's not explored to the way I want. I can't quite give it a top shelf. Top. But it's single barrel. Okay. As, as I think one of these movies where you just watch this imminent self-destruction of somebody knowing they're doing it on purpose through drugs or substances has the potential to look like on screen. I think this is really good. Raymond Land the last weekend is a good example. Sure. Train spotting is a really good example. Mm-hmm. They're just there's opportunity with those type of films. Yeah. But they're not they're not pretty. They're not. I don't, yeah, I can't think of one that's like, yeah, this is a good watch. Like it's an enjoyable watch. It's because it's a it's a grim star is born, man. I mean, it's a grim subject. Yeah, good point. Uh I'm right. gonna go call plus single barrel minus. Yeah. Um, uh, I think I would have liked more Nick Cage drunkenness. I mean, you're making a film with Nick Cage who's an alcoholic who's on a bender. And bar that scene that I picked. And then a few moments. I mean, he's fairly, it's just kind of like lumbering from this. But if he had a few more like freak out moments, that, that would have been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to see him, I want to see him get sick, actually. I want to see him throw. I want to see like the toll it's taking on him that's more than just his visage. Mm-hmm. There's other things going on here that just, they just decided not to show. But then what's close to getting it into single barrel minus is Elizabeth Shue and her arc of her character and being the crux of this whole story, this, yeah, this call girl trying to get out of this abusive pimp John relationship to trying to save this man and just keeps making the worst decisions, right? It's just one bad decision after another mm-hmm. with good intentions, yeah. I, I will say. So, yeah. yeah, this was, this was a good watch. I'm glad you picked this one. I mean, I think we had been, we've been toying around with like an addiction cask and I'm glad you kind of, you put it in here for, for this one, the Nick Cage the Nick Cage cast, because, yeah, this is his Oscar-winning role. So, yeah, glad to check this one out. Good. Excellent. Well, let's wrap up this episode with our nightcap. You got any more sting left in you? I, I'm stinged out. <laughs> I'm stung. <laughs> <laughs> it was, oh, I'm telling you, it was, it, was, it was one of the funniest things of the the, the whole film. Just, <laughs> I, he would come on, i just I just look at you, and uh, just be like, come on. It's like, you're like, oh, this sounds a sting a really pull me out of this film <laughs> and that doesn't really feel las vegas does it no i mean a little less conversation by elvis some dean martin three I, coins in a fountain i could have done with some of the classic staples i mean yep. that feels more vegas to me than whatever the hell they're doing with these original mike figgis compositions maybe like I agree that's so weird but go ahead and hit us with that nightcap the nightcap is you get a nicholas cage performance that's Nicolas Cage wheelhouse and the director of your choice. Now I'm not going to have you pitch me on story. I just want you to pitch me on just general genre, Okay. but this is not yet having worked with director X that you'd like to see do some vehicle with Nick Cage. Do you want to go first? Cause I, I really don't want to pick your pick. So I do want to go first. Okay. So we've talked about, so I'm going to, I'm going to just tweak it a little bit. Okay. I feel like this isn't really a genre, but it should be because we've talked about it so much on the show. And there is, although I've yet to see it, a fairly contemporary version that you can stream currently, which I didn't know about until now, with Liam Hemsworth and Christoph Waltz. The story or the genre is the most dangerous game. Mm -hmm. 
I want this, and I want him as the bad guy, and I want it to be Denny Villeneuve. Oh, nice. That's who I want. Dude, that'd be pretty cool. I don't know who the... So he's Z, right? Yeah. Zarkov, I think, is his name? Yep. Yeah. That's who I want. Yeah, they did. That was the... 2020. Christoph Waltz, Liam Hammer. That was on that stupid streaming service they tried to make happen. I think it was called Quibi. Mm. And their whole thing was like short segments. So it was like 15-minute things of shows to get people to watch in short amounts of time. It, gonna, fa- it failed mightily. <laughs> I'm going to look into it and see what they did with it. Because um, there's some noise about maybe a second season, possibly. I don't know if that's set up for a like, episodic run, though. No. That's a story, yeah. not a series. Yeah. But that's what I... So, again, that's kind of not really a genre, so I'm breaking my own rules. But yeah. I think you see where we're going, and that could be cool. Sure. Okay, I want, I want Nick Cage doing his crazy cage thing. And he seems to be... In, We'll talk a little bit about this next week in a horror space mm-hmm. with the right director i think could maybe pull in arguably his greatest performance mm. uh don't you want to see nicholas cage work with ari aster oh god i didn't think about that yes and whatever that would look like it would be a weird movie for sure like it would be so strange and then adding cage to it just makes it even weirder and if you allow me to let me put Willem Dafoe in that movie as well. <laughs> That's horrifying in and of itself. I love it. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Good choice. I yeah. didn't think about Ari Aster. Yeah. It was him or Robert Eggers, the director of The Lighthouse, The Witch, and The North, the Northman. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think Aster, I mean, it just it, putting Nicolas Cage in Midsommar... Yeah, man, that's, that could have worked. That's changing the movie, but it's maybe changing it, making it better, maybe. He could have played Gabriel Burns' oh part in Hereditary. God. <laughs> Don't you think? Can you imagine him and Tony Collette going toe to toe? Ooh, no, that'd be wild. But we'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, Aster's next film. I don't know if it's horror specifically, but I know Joaquin Phoenix is in it. Ooh, so it's got to be at least thriller, if not horror. I would hope at least thriller. Maybe not as horror as the other his two have been, but I'm curious to see that. Mm. So we shall see. Great Good choice. Job. Great Here's choice. Two. I want to see Denny Villeneuve's uh, The Most Dangerous Game. That that rock. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we've come to the last film in our uh, Rage Cage cask, and we have one more film left in the station here. So we're going to flip roles next week. So this was Raw Rye Watch for me. This is going to be Raw Rye Watch for you next week from, I think, 2018, 2017. So a little bit more recent Cage. So this is post Ghost Rider and all the terrible decisions he made in the 2000s with a bit of a comeback, in my opinion. We're going to talk about Mandy, ladies and gentlemen. Hmm. And Matt, I just want you to buckle up because it's hard to describe what this film's about. And then visually when you see it, it's you're in for an experience, my friend. Okay. Yeah. I can't wait. Okay. You've talked about it a lot, so I'm looking forward to seeing this yeah. one. Yeah. It could have fit in like a cult, like if we did like movies about like cult, like The Wicker Man or anything like that, Midsommar again. Mm-hmm. It could have fit in there, but man, this is... This is Cage Cage, so we're gonna we're gonna see some crazy stuff next week. Sweet, alrighty. So yeah, do what I did. Don't watch any trailers. Uh, go cold. Yeah. Don't read anything. Just come in, and we'll just hit play. And there we go. Who directed it? Uh, okay, I'll, I will tell you that. Give so it's Panos Cosmatos. Probably won't know him, but his dad is George P. Cosmatos. Uh, he did Rambo: First Blood Part Two, yeah. Cobra, Tombstone. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about him before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is his son kind of doing his own weird, strange thing. So cool. 
Until then, I got to get going. All this drinking has made me just not want to drink right now. I think I'm just going to go put a good meal in my stomach because that's what Nick Cage needed in this film. Chinese takeout on the way. Yeah, maybe some spaghetti. <laughs> Love that. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Leaving Las Vegas is property of United Artists and Lumiere Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. We mustn't kick the bar, we lean into the bar. Just lean into the railing. Because it's not vino veritas, it's en vino veritas. Who are you talking to? A little brown-nosed gnomes with a slingshot.